evening, and welcome to the Matthew Danko Podcast. Don't call it that. I'm your host, Matthew the Dr. Danko. Hey folks, this is the final episode of the Matthew Danko Podcast. I'm here with a longtime co-host, guest star, Jesse Party. Hello. And, uh, yeah, this is, this is it. This is episode 21. Um, yeah, which would be impressive, but that's been four years, so <laughs> not, not many episodes I got to do, um, but all of them were definitely good, and each one kind of taught me more and more about how I want to do the podcasting thing. It's not that bad, it's like five episodes over. Yeah, but... <laughs> it's not like you did a biannual or something. I mean, that's basically how it was. Um, in the beginning, it was just a blog and maybe a few videos that I did. But then I decided I want to actually just do the audio because the videos take too long to upload and edit and all that shit. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just it's time, at least for this podcast to end. Because I want to kind of focus, you know, the Matthew Danko podcast has kind of always been, I mean, except recently because I've had you to talk to. Um, but, like, it's always been, you know, just me rambling about whatever new things had happened that week, like, or new comics I've read or movies I've seen, shit like that. And it was kind of all over the place, so I, I just, I really want to focus my attentions in the future podcasts as to, like, one theme per show. Um, I mean, it, it's probably a little derivative, but just, you know, one show dedicated to Batman, or comics in general, and then one show dedicated to movies, and, you know, other shit like that, because... Sometimes doing these podcasts, you know, I'm just rambling for an hour and a half about just everything. I'd also like to just dedicate one to toys because, you know, my interest in that has certainly increased since I started doing the Matthew Danko podcast. And I've met a lot of cool and interesting toy collectors, people I already knew, actually, and... Uh, yeah, so maybe maybe that's what the future has in store for not the Matthew Danko podcast, but the Matthew Danko podcast network that I was trying to start back way back in the day. Um, and then maybe get the guys talking about shit podcast on, on my uh, network, as I've talked about before, and actually start executing some of these plans that I've had. But... That all aside, yes, this is the final episode, but it's not the last podcast I'll do. Um, maybe for a little bit until I figure some shit out. But yeah, so we've seen some movies since the last time we did this, uh, which was in March, so five months ago. Um, even the last episode that I did by myself last week was just an update, so it really didn't count as an episode. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about 
some of the movies that we've seen. Taking Jesse to see a few superhero movies since Batman v Superman. That's what we were discussing in my trade. Yeah. Um, and the mess of the movie that is. Still a great movie. I mean, I haven't seen the director's cut yet. A three-hour version of it. But... I would watch that again. Yeah. I'm, I I definitely want to see it. I have it on my hard drive. I just... For me, the solution was never to add more to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked about in the episode was that it needed to be trimmed, and supposedly the director's cut clears up a lot of issues that they had um, narratively. I don't know. I just think it probably and and fans too have said that you know they understand it more, and you know a lot of the with the director's cut. Yeah. Not even understand it on a narrative level, but that they see it more as the comic book movie that it was supposed to be. Like it was, it was way more fulfilling to comic book fans as the director's cut than originally when it was released. I don't know. I think it just needed really trimmed and sussed out as to what the main plot. Of, you know, Batman hates Superman. Superman just wants to save the world. And you could leave Lex Luthor in because, you know, he's the reason Doomsday is there. and He's the main villain, I guess. But there's a lot of stuff you can cut out. And, you know, we saw Suicide Squad. Um, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but supposedly, not only did they reshoot a bunch of shit for that to make it more, not lighter, but just... Commercial? I don't even know. Commercial. Uh, maybe. They they didn't... The idea behind it was that, you know, Batman v Superman was to criticized. Give it more heart. Yeah. I guess that's fair. Batman v Superman was supposedly too dark, and they wanted to make this fun, or a little bit more upbeat. And they kind of achieved that with not only the way they portrayed some of the characters, but the music that they chose. Um, but we'll get into all that. But they apparently cut a lot of the Joker stuff. Um, like, he was only in it sporadically, maybe for no more than five to ten minutes at a time, I would say. Um, but wait, did we want to save this for the end of the discussion? Yeah, I'm okay. saying that they cut, they, I was told that they cut so much Joker stuff out that they could make its own movie. And my point was going to be, Back, because I, I listened to the Batman the Superman conversation we had in preparation for this kind of, um, and I talk about how I want to recut Batman v Superman to be more like the Batman v Superman animated show 
which was literally Batman versus Superman and Lex Luthor and the Joker. Like, they were... They both had teamed up with each other to fight each other. Mm-hmm. And the minute I heard that, you know, there was so much extra footage of the Joker, I was like, I wonder if there was a way thematically and cleanly to add the Joker stuff into Batman v Superman, edit it in so that it would very much feel like, instead of, like, cut Doomsday out, save that for... Actually, you could even just set that aside. I love the Doomsday fight. Like, that's one of the biggest strong points in the movie. But I was playing with the idea of what it would be like to add the Joker in with, you know, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, have them have a few conversations. And, of course, since they don't actually interact in Suicide Squad, you would have to use the creative imagination to figure out what, conversations they could have and piece it together from each movie. I mean, ultimately, it might just make it more of a mess, but it would be very much... It would be a lot closer to Batman versus... or the world's finest animated movie that was made in the 90s. So maybe if I ever get around to cutting Batman v Superman, I'll do one cut of the movie trimmed down the way it should be and then see if I can take any extra footage of the Joker or whatever and make a whole nother separate cut to try to make it more parallel to the animated movie. Because the animated movie is is pretty flawless. I mean, it's animated so they can take more liberties with it, but the motives and everything is clear. It's very apparent in the animated episode than I think in either of the movies as to what these villains really want. But anyways, that that's just an idea. Um, so, after Batman v Superman, what was it, Civil War that we saw next? Yes. Um... Now, since it's been a while since we saw that movie, it might not all... Um, I'm, I'm just having trouble remembering some of it. The majority of it, I think I, I remember quite a bit. But what did, what did you think of the movie? I just remember, like, I thought it was so interesting that Everybody, oh, I mean, I guess it is a Captain America movie, so they would be rooting for him. But I didn't know this. This is the first Marvel movie I'd really seen. Yeah. And I was not rooting for Captain America. I did not like him very much. I don't know why. I just found that I was rooting against him. So you're Team Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people forget that, I mean, at least when I bring up Civil War, they're like, oh yeah, I forgot it's called Captain America Civil War. Because it's technically the third movie in his trilogy, it just happens to have everyone in it. So it feels more like an Avengers movie um, than anything. I mean, minus the Hulk and Thor. But 
Yeah, I see. The thing is, like, I watched Civil War. I didn't pick a side. Like, I had seen some of the trailers. Like, I got both sides of the argument, and I didn't pick a side. But then when the movie ended, I was definitely more towards Tony Stark. Um, and for some reason, though, even though I became a Tony Stark fan, like an Iron Man fan, and was rooting for him towards the end, I came out having more respect or like a, maybe a better understanding of Captain America. Um, and I had always liked Chris Evans as Captain America and the character of Captain America in the first Avenger. You really like him because he's the underdog and everything. And then Captain America 2, he's a, the whole Winter Soldier, which is his friend, which he's protecting in Civil War. That's uh, Bucky, his friend. Yeah. Um, that's the plot of Captain America 2 is like, this trained assassin, Bucky, is out there killing people, and um, it was almost Civil War was kind of an extension of that plotline, except everyone was divided because of the checks and balances that the government wants to do with superheroes and all that shit. Um, but you know, I feel like. Part of me feels like, even though Tony was like, you know, we do have to keep ourselves in check, I think he'd be the first one to be like, I gotta do what I gotta do, and go in guns blazing without checking with the government. Like, just based on his personality. I mean, in Iron Man 1, which you haven't seen, um, I mean, he comes right out and is like, yeah, I'm, I'm Iron Man. Like, the whole world knows that he's Iron Man. He doesn't care. He's He's a weapons, he creates weapons and sells them off to uh, basically anyone that needs it. And then he gets held hostage in a bunker and all this other shit. And then he decides he's no longer going to make weapons for the enemies. Um, like it's not as important as people's lives and shit. And so he builds a suit similar to the suit that he makes in the bunker to escape and kind of uses his genius for good. Um, the only problem is everything that Tony Stark makes ends up biting him in the ass later. Like the Avengers 2, Age of Ultron, mm. none of that shit would have happened if Tony Stark didn't create Ultron. Like, it was a project he was working on that kind of got out of whack, and that was really his fault. And all, and even Iron Man Two, um, it's, it's been so long since I've seen the movie, but the villain in that is using technology that he created, Tony Stark had created, and so like half the shit that's happening in this universe is because Tony Stark, he has no real uh, boundaries or limits and he, he feels responsible for it which is probably why he signs the 
I can't even remember the document name from Civil War. It's a pretty important name. It's based, it's the, I think it's the name, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's the name of the um, country or city that the events of Age of Ultron happen in, where shit just gets destroyed. Uh, yeah. Thought I remember. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not the something records. No, it is. It's the something records. I can't remember what that something is, but um, I'm just gonna have to watch those movies again. It's it's been super long since I've seen Age of Ultron, but even the rest of them, I don't. The last time I watched any of those was for that independent study I did in college, so two years ago, and a little longer because I had some I had seen some of those movies. Um, but yeah, so this was your first Marvel movie. And it introduced a lot of characters to you. Uh, got to see Ant-Man, played by Paul Rudd. And then... Oh, yeah, he was fun. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love Paul Rudd? But, like, the Ant-Man movie is really fun. Like, that's mm-hmm. one I think you should definitely want. And, uh... And Spider-Man. Yeah, they, that, that was the other thing, is that this was Spider-Man coming into the... And the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with some help from Sony, but yeah, they finally got them, and now they're gonna do Marvel's Spider-Man's Homecoming, which is the next movie that's coming out. It's called Homecoming. Yeah. Um. So that'll be interesting, but yeah, I thought Spider-Man was pretty perfect. Um, not just visually, like his suit. And the way he was put in there. But the kid who plays him, Tom Holland, he's definitely a Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, he was cute. Yeah. And you, have have you seen the other Spider-Man movies? No. Any of them? No. No? I definitely think he's the best. I mean, I have a place in my heart for Tobey Maguire just because those were the first Spider-Man movies that came out. Spider-Man 1 was a great movie, and Spider-Man 2 was just as good. And then, you know, Spider-Man 3, which, if you stick around long enough in the comic book circles, or even just geek circles, we don't talk about Spider-Man 3, because it's not only a mess of a movie, um, but it has a dance sequence in it, which is really interesting really weird. Uh, he goes all emo, wears all black, and has his hair, like, over to one side, and he's, like, going down the street, like, doing this, and <laughs> it's awful. Um, in the theater community, you don't talk about Spider-Man musical either. Yeah. I guess those are pretty comparable, not just in content, but quality. Um, we also got introduced to Black Panther, which is, like, the, almost the Batman of Marvel. I mean, people say that Moon Knight is the Batman of Marvel, but Black Panther was pretty sweet. It's the like thinking back about that movie 
and how cool the character was in the movie, even though I know nothing about him, is the reason I decided to keep that figure that I bought. Because one of my buddies was looking for Black Panther, the action figure, Marvel Legends action figure that they released, um, which was hard to find for a while. And I found him and Captain America, and I got them for like $25 or 20 bucks for both of them. And I was contemplating... You know, he said he didn't need the figure, so I was contemplating selling off Black Panther since you could get it. You could sell them pretty much for thirty to forty bucks. You know, I, I don't want to scalp, but at the same time, I like money. Um, but I was having such a complex about it because I was like, I really don't need the figure, and I'm more of a DC guy, so I didn't want to start collecting Marvel right away. Like eventually, I figured I would, but. It would be eventual. It wouldn't be just because the movies were coming out. And then I kept looking at the figure and kept thinking about the movie. And Like, he is a really cool character. And the look of him is really cool, too. Um, I really want to see his solo movie. It'll take place in Africa and Wakanda, which now, is where he's from. Forgive me. This is a stupid question. But why is he considered the Batman of Marvel? Well, you know, I mean, again, I, I say that that's what people are referring to him now. Back in the comics, and like I haven't really seen him in the comics. Um, like since the movie came out, that's what they're referring to him as, just because of the way he looks and the way he acts, and his parents are dead. Yeah. And I mean, throw a rock, and uh, every superhero's parents have died. In some tragic accident, which causes them to take up the mantle of whatever hero they feel like. But, like, his suit even is, like, this armor mesh. It's actually, in the movie, they say it's um, made out of vibranium, which is what Cap Captain America's shield is made out of. Um, like, this un indestructible material that's actually mined in Wakanda, if I recall correctly. And he's super fast. And he also just, at least in some of the scenes where they're actually fighting, he kind of just shows up like as if he was just hiding in the shadows the whole time. Um, um, and the Sokovia... Thank you. And that like that is an important piece of uh Marvel history. It would be nice to get the name right, so I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um But again, I don't I don't know necessarily that if that Black Panther is the Batman, like I, I don't I that's just what people have been saying. Um because I think Moon Knight represents Batman, like, the Batman archetype, I guess, more. Um, so, yeah, there was that. There was uh, Black Panther. There was Ant-Man. There was Spider-Man. And then there were a few other characters that you were being introduced for, introduced to for the first time. Um, Vision, the uh, pink guy with... The yellow, green suit. Mm. He would, like, float through walls and shit. Wanted to protect that girl. 
Scarlet Witch. Well, yeah, who played Scarlet Witch again? Uh, one of the Olsons. The Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, Elizabeth Olsen. Not like the, one of the Olsen twins, obviously, because that would be weird. <laughs> um, but Vision is actually a real-life version of Jarvis, Tony Stark's AI computer mm-hmm. that came to life in Age of Ultron and got a physical form and all that shit. Um, Scarlet Witch is a mutant, which... Yeah, who killed a bunch of people at the beginning of the movie. I mean... Yeah. She did. There's no two ways about it. I mean, they all kill people. They're very... Innocent people, I mean. You know, they all kill innocent people. That's that's the whole reason the Accords can right. be. But you kind of, I mean, I think people are a little more forgiving because there's a lot more jokes in it. People like jokes in what? In the Marvel universe. Oh no, I I mean like I I wasn't meaning to bring about a discussion of. Too much innocent killing in the movie. No, no, I just I'm meant, bringing like, it up because uh, this was part of the reason why I, I think I found myself rooting against Captain America, Captain America and with Tony Stark. Tony Stark was because, like, you were killing a lot of innocent people. No, I know that. I'm saying that I think. The audience is way more forgiving of all the innocent people that die in a Marvel movie versus all the innocent people that die in a DC movie. And not even the fact that, you know, Batman doesn't kill or whatever, but just like even in Man of Steel, like people were just so upset about all the destruction that he caused. But like that happens in all superhero movies. There's always mass destruction of cities and innocent people that die. But because there are a few more jokes in a Marvel movie, they're like, eh, it's fine. At least a little bit more. Um, unless you get the people that are on Tony Stark's side, like this kind of split up the audience as to what they felt was right. Um, but only the people that actually look at the movie that way. A lot of the people chose sides based on which character they like more, mm-hmm. not actually their moral standpoint on the issue of do we need to stay in check because we're killing so many innocent people, or do we just roam free because we're superheroes and we need to do whatever we need to do. Um, but that's, that's way more political than I wanted to get. Um, but anyways, then, so Scarlet Witch is, just for you to know this, um, she was introduced at, in the post credit scene of one of the other movies. I wish I could remember which one. Um, she was introduced as um, a miracle. Like they called them miracles because they couldn't use the word mutant because mutant was indicative of the X Men, which is owned by Fox. And if they use the word mutant, it would be a conflicting. Uh, it was a legal issue, essentially. Because X Men belonged to Fox, and even though they're Marvel characters, they have the movie rights to them. But then 
you know, now that Spider-Man has been brought in and Sony is working with Marvel and all that, eventually I think the X-Men will make their way into the Marvel Universe. Um, but Scarlet Witch and her brother, um, Quicksilver, who just is basically the Flash, he just runs real fast, um, he died in Age of Ultron. And so it was just Scarlet Witch and Vision was trying to take care of her for, you know, to keep her safe and all that shit. And I think partly to keep everyone else safe since her powers are unwieldy. But, like, the way the Marvel Universe is opening up, you know, there's going to be the Infinity Wars, which is Thanos getting the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, and it's going to bring in the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Avengers, and I don't think they have time. I think Infinity Wars is next year, so they don't have time to do any X-Men stuff, but there's going to be a movie down the line called Inhumans, and they might throw some X-Men in there if they can. I don't know. The Marvel movies are now getting a lot more intricate, and they're going, like, in the beginning, there was Iron Man, and then um, the Incredible Hulk, which isn't directly in the Marvel Universe, but is because of the character, I guess. And all these other movies were panning out. They would have a standalone movie, and then they would team up, and then they would do other standalone sequels, and then do a team-up movie. But now, each movie is having an offshoot of different movies to go to and there's a flow chart you can find online <clears throat> because daredevil the end the netflix series of daredevil he's going to be in infinity wars that character and then a few of the other characters and that actor that actor yeah like well all that all those properties are now officially in like anything that has marvel in front of it belongs in that same universe regardless of where it's located. Mm -hmm. Like, the show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that's on Basic Cable, they're actually talking about uh, Robert Downey Jr. being in the first episode of the newest season that's going to come out as Tony Stark, because I think in the last season, that when the last season ended, before Age of Ultron came out, the mission that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were going to go on, they were talking about the whole episode, was the first mission that the Avengers went on in that movie. So, like, all of these movies and TV shows are connected, which is how it's different from DC, who has everything separated. Like, there's the DC Cinematic Universe, and then there's the TV Universe, which is weird, because... Green Arrow, DC, Supergirl, which is DC, and The Flash, which is also DC, the TV shows, they've all crossed over. And there's even, they've cast the Superman in that TV show, because Supergirl is Superman's cousin. Mm -hmm. And in the new season that's coming up, they wanted to introduce Superman. In so, Supergirl. Yeah. And so they recast... 
Superman. They don't have Henry Cavill or Henry Cavill playing Superman, who plays him in the movie, right? So you can tell it's separate. However, and this is what I mentioned to you, I've mentioned to you this many times, but the way the DC could keep up with, because their movies, you know, haven't been the best, unfortunately, but the way they can still be, they could not one-up Marvel, but do something spectacular as Marvel has done, while still being different, is the Crisis on Infinite Earths that would bring in all these different, like the television show and the movies. Like, you could have the Barry Allen on the TV show that plays The Flash and Ezra Miller, the Barry Allen in the movies that we've seen, meet in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. They're the same character from two different universes. They're the same person from two different universes. So you could have these different actors playing the same character and have it make sense in the Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because now that they're two Superman, and, I mean, it would be awesome if they could do two Batman and all this other stuff. It would be this super... Um, no pun intended. <laughs> it would be this very spectacular crossover storyline that they could introduce in the Flash show, which they've kind of been doing, um, and then have them all on the big screen for the Crisis on Infinite Earths. But, again, that's not up to me. So, who knows if it'll ever happen, and I don't know the kind of hoops so, they have to jump through. Sorry, it's just kind of... No, I've... But... Supergirl, the TV series, yeah, is going to have a second season. Yeah. Because wasn't it met with mixed reviews? I mean, I don't. It, by it, me, it, it was. It garnered enough attention to get. Yeah. Season. Well, the season got a little stronger as it went on. Like they introduced Martian Manhunter, which is a character I've mentioned a bunch of times, but it's a character that's never really been done live action before. Yeah. And I think he's such a cool character. Um, they actually introduced him very well into the series. But when I saw the first episode of Supergirl, like, I was giving it a shot. I was like, this is cool. Yeah. We finally yeah, have a I female superhero. Like, to, be, to be honest, but I, again, I didn't really watch past the first episode. Yeah. I think we watched, like, the first two episodes, maybe? Probably. But, like, it became what the Flash had already was doing, which is, like, when Supergirl was on her way to Earth in her pod or whatever, it was emitting a signal, and the space prison that was in the area or something exploded, and a lot of the metahumans that were on in that prison fell to Earth. So not only... Narratively, did it give Supergirl a bunch of people to fight that aren't human? But she had to go and track these people down, which is what Flash had to do when the um, the thing that they were working on in Star's Lab 
blew up and and he created the speed force or the speed force ran through him and he got his super fast powers i'm very i'm whitewashing a lot of things just to get to the point but like it created a bunch of metahumans in in his city that he had to go with his team to fight and capture and put them under lock and key and since that was already introduced this was exactly what supergirl was kind of doing and it just felt very i don't yeah i didn't like it i don't know because like the fact that she's a female superhero was very strong enough that they could have played with that more and also she could have just been beating up regular criminals she didn't have to have all these people with all these powers until later in the season when they wanted to introduce like her nemesis which yeah, i don't even know dove right in. yeah they didn't build up to it maybe it's just because they knew we were used to seeing that shit before like the mundane superhero versions or the slice of life of clark kent or any superhero that is literally just taking down normal bad guys that end up and then end up finding a, a nemesis like Brainiac or Darkseid or some shit like that. But we were talking about Civil War. Sorry, no, no, I, I'm the one who steered us down that path. But uh, so, what did you think of the movie Civil War? Oh, I, I loved it. It was definitely even um not having seen another movie in the in that universe like yeah. it definitely had my attention throughout it made me want to watch another one yeah made me want to know more about the universe and, and for me it made me want to watch the Iron Man movies yeah I do think Iron Man is a pretty perfect movie like it was the first one but it was so well done and that character was brought to life and I, you know, I knew the character, but since I'm more of a DC guy, I never really read any of the comics. But the little bit I knew and have seen of Iron Man in print was definitely brought to life in that movie. Um, and Civil War was just with so many characters on screen and brought over from other movies just to team up for this. It was very well balanced. Which, even with Batman v Superman, which really only had Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman mixed throughout, and then at the end, and then Lex Luthor. You could kind of count Doomsday, but he's just, he didn't have any lines or any influence, influence to the plot. He was just a big, bad villain to beat at the end. Like, that's only four characters. And it was a very uneven, like, the balance of the movie was off. Yeah, they were able to incorporate a lot of characters in this movie without modeling it all. Yeah, and, you know, each one had a purpose. They weren't just shoehorned in. Um, and we got to see Giant Man, which was cool. That's um, when Ant-Man is like, I've only done this once and I've passed out, or whatever, and then he hits the button and poof, he's playing with War Machine, like, he's a fucking toy. That was really cool. Um, which, like I said, Ant-Man you would really like. 
Um, Does he do that in the Ant-Man movie? No, that was the first time he grew. Yeah. Because he talked about it a little bit in that in Civil War, like you know, we ne- I've never really tested it and all that shit. Um, in Ant-Man, he actually does the opposite, where he becomes small like Ant-Man, but then he goes subatomic at one point and becomes super, super small um, for a plot device that is necessary in the movie, but I don't want to spoil that one too much. Um, but that, that movie is really fun. It, it'll probably make you laugh as much as Deadpool. Just mm-hmm. in a different way, more family friendly, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I really like Civil War. I don't know really anyone that didn't. Um, Spider Man was awesome in it. I definitely want to see more of him and Black Panther. The only thing that bugged me um, was the uh, the end when like the whole movie. Steve Rogers, Captain America, is trying to protect Bucky, you know, from mm-hmm. the team bringing him in. <clears throat> and like, because he's sticking up for his friend, he, he loves him and, you know, doesn't want anything to happen to him. He takes him on as his responsibility. They go through so much shit to protect Bucky. And then at the end of the movie, they put him into a, a chamber to freeze him and say says... Like, we'll, basically, we'll thaw you out the next time we need you until we figure out how to fix your problem with the fact that you're a sleeper agent. And if you hear those words, you'll change immediately. Like, I get why they did it, but at the same time, so much trouble just to be like, sorry, we don't need you right now. Like, yeah. we're going to put you away. The whole purpose of this movie is to keep you safe and keep you alive. And we're just going to ignore, forget about you for a while. I don't know. It's a very small thing to pick at for me. But, you know, it's kind of like, and you you might not get this reference because you haven't seen the movies, but in the movies Aliens, the sequel to Alien, Mm -hmm. there's this character Newt, this little girl, who the whole movie, they're trying to keep her safe and keep her alive. Like Sigourney Weaver is trying to keep her alive and everything. And then in the Aliens 3, uh, there's like a little line that's like, yeah, Newt's dead. So the whole event of Aliens is superfluous because the character doesn't make it to the third movie and is just thrown away in a line. Like, that's exactly how I felt when... (laughs) The whole movie, they're trying to keep Bucky alive and protected, and then they're like, yep, you're going to go under, and that's it. Well, he's not dead. Well, he's not dead. It's just the idea that, like, they did a lot of shit for him just to be, like, put, to put him in a box. Um, <clears throat> but after that... Um, So, I think after Civil War, we saw The Purge? Yes. Election year? Now, since it's not really superhero-related, I won't go off on a super long tangent, but 
you know, we, we did get to see a bunch of movies since then, and I just want to touch on them a little bit. And plus, technically, there's a character in The Purge played by an actor that's also in Civil War, so it's yeah. sort of connected. Um, the guy that protects... I only know him as Nick Savern from Prison Break, but oh, the guy okay. that protects the senator... Yeah. He plays Crossbones, which is the guy that had the mask and the vest, and it was at the beginning of the movie in Civil War that was blowing shit up that they go and take him down. Mm -hmm. He is in a bunch of the other Marvel movies, but that's where he finally becomes Crossbones, kind of, um, which is just another character in, in Marvel history. So, I liked I liked the movie. It didn't have enough purge in it for me. Yeah, it definitely didn't. It felt very much like an action movie towards the end. Or yeah. Actually, the whole time. Because um, the idea of those movies is that the whole country is going fucking nuts. Because everything is free reign, including murder. And the reason the other two movies... I like so much more is because they were so ridiculous and terrifying in like the fact that this is how the world in that universe works. Um, like the, my biggest complaint with this movie is there's so much gunplay that it just felt like a straight up action movie. There was people trying to get to a destination and all the villains, the villains were mercenaries just shooting back. There was no, like, real clever cleverness to it. The only bit that felt kind of clever, or not really clever, but very similar to the other movies, was the minister. He had, like, his church group, mm-hmm. and they were sacrificing people. But even that is, like, not far off from just a regular cult. Yeah. Well, I kind of felt like, um, like, I wasn't, like, this movie, like, I, I understand why they did it because it is electioneering and all that, but this movie was so... Like, you went into it in a world where the purge is, like, accepted as fact now. And, like, yeah. it's not it's not as shocking to them. Yeah. But it's still, as an audience member, it was still shocking to me. So I still feel like I needed, like, a third movie that was, like, the second movie. Where still, like, I'm seeing, like, how crazy people get yeah. in this purge. And then maybe a movie like this where I'm, where I'm like, okay, I really know what to expect from the purge now. Yeah. Like, two movies was not enough for me to be ready right. for the... It almost parallel to probably how that world worked, where they initiated the purge and the first time everyone was freaking out. And then they knew it was going to happen another... Like, the purge was going to become a thing, an annual thing, but they still didn't know what to expect the second year. And then by the third year, they got a little more used to it, but they were still as terrified. Yeah. And then by the fourth year, they were like, okay, now I know what to expect. Like, in the terms of, like, the purge is a thing that they made as law. 
like the people that live in that country, in the U.S., in that world, the purge was a new concept to them, as it was to us as audience members. At one point, there was the first purge that ever happened, and they didn't know what was going, like what to expect from it. I'm confused. Okay, so I don't, I don't really know how this part works in the movie. But I, so, didn't, I didn't think I didn't think the first Purge movie was supposed to be the first Purge. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Oh. I'm saying that in that world, there was at some point they were like, we need to get the crime rates low, lower, and all this shit. Well, we're gonna create this thing called the Purge, where one night a year people are gonna go out and do whatever they want. No legal action will be taken. Murder is accepted. All this shit. And they announced that to the people of the country, like, we have this new thing, it's called the Purge, and these are the rules that, basically, there aren't any rules. Yeah. And so... What, when did they do this? I'm saying that in the world, oh. they created the Purge, right? Okay, yeah. The law officials created the Purge, but nobody knows what to expect on the first night. Yeah. That it actually happens. So, they don't, like... It's not full out where people are dressed in these crazy get-ups with guns and deck out their cars and just going around looking for people to kill. They kind mm-hmm. of play it safe. Some of them stay in their house. They're like, I don't understand this. I don't want to be a part of it. But then the next, like, people all over die, and then you hear my neighbor next door, his house is ransacked and broken into, and he was murdered, slipped from ear to ear, all this shit. And they're like, oh my god. They're so shocked by the fact that the purge is a real thing. But they still don't know what to expect. So then the next year, on the, the second time the purge happens, they're still just as shocked. Because it's still new to them. They, they don't really know what to expect. Because it's a new concept in this Where world. Where are you getting this, though? I'm saying this is probably how the world works. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> if, if you found out, like, if these movies didn't exist, and you found out that there was one night a year where you got up to murder people and commit crimes and shit without being taken to prison, how would you react? I'd be scared. Yeah, you'd be scared. You, But you wouldn't know that people are going to bust in your house and try to rape and kill you, right? Yeah. Right. So, as an audience member, the first time we see The Purge, we feel like the people did the first time The Purge yeah. happened. Okay, now I see So, having three movies where The Purge is still kind of new to us, and then a fourth movie like The Election Year would have been good. That's yeah. all I was trying to say. Or what they could have done, they could have done that, what you're saying, like another movie just about, you know, things that happened with the purge, but regarding that senator and how she lost her family. Yeah. Whenever she was... Yeah. Which I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they did, because after the end of that movie is like, she's, she's made, like, the more accepting to the changes that she wants to, like, she wins Florida or something like that. And she's initiating the first steps and getting rid of the purge. So from the creator standpoint, if they wanted to keep the purge alive, instead of going with 
the next movie being how the purge ends, they could do that night. I was saying we should. Oh, we should have reversed it. Like we should have gotten okay. another. Well, since we can't go back, that's what they still could do. Um, yeah, and it's just it. Something you don't think about is how. Like, we only see them how they react now that the purge is in effect, not how it came to be and what happened mm-hmm. in the beginning. So it was just interesting for me to speculate on that. And The purge is just a scary thing. But I wasn't nearly as scared watching this, this one as I was in the other ones because the stakes weren't as high. Even though killing the senator is a big thing... I didn't really feel the same way I did as the other movies. And even the second movie is so much more brilliant because of the towards the end there's the rich people that are that are doing it for sport. The hunting. Yeah. yeah. That was so clever and kind of in a way reflective of what I think <laughs> the super wealthy would do in this kind of situation. That they would just use all their money in this world where crime is legal for this one night and do exactly how it's shown. I mean, it's very probably over-exaggerated and more comedic, but you can kind of see how that would play out in the real world, which is the purge is basically The purge is basically everyone gets to be Patrick Bateman for one night. You're just um, trying to connect it to American Let Psycho. out all your aggression. Yeah. That's very much, that's the reason everyone's cool every other day of the year. Because they get this one night to purge all the negativity and anger and angst that they have. I wouldn't know what the fuck to do. I mean, not that I don't have anger and angst, but. I'm not about to anybody. kill people. Even if like the person I hate the most, I don't want to kill them. Yeah. It would just be really for us. It would just be a, try to protect ourselves. Like, would you really even do little crimes like go to Best Buy and steal shit and risk your life because there are other people on the streets that are just gonna kill for sport? Probably not. So the whole night you're just going to be trying to lock down your house and make sure that nobody bothers you. But I'm sure in that world people have bunkers and shit. Like bunkers are probably a a big thing now. I mean, most of the houses we see in the Purge have security systems, but I'm talking like underground bunkers, like bomb shelters almost. I would watch a movie where people are like in a bomb shelter and maybe other countries, like, okay, in The Purge, the only other thing that I really did like in election year was that people from other countries wanted to come to America to feel like an American and get out all their anger on Purge night. So they were, like, they were expressing their freedom as Americans for one night and getting to kill Americans. Like... Because yeah. in other countries, the purge doesn't exist. It's just the United States. Because we're gross. Yeah. But I wonder how the world would be if purge was a worldwide thing. Then I think nukes and shit would happen. And that would be a whole different movement. Um, 
I think there should be like a worldwide like Facebook purge where like on one day or you can get on anyone's Facebook and say whatever you want about them on their wall and nobody can get mad at you for it. You're saying that this should be a real thing. Yeah. That, that I feel like, then I think I don't mind a Just be like, hey, I fucking beat you. But I don't want to kill you. But you could do that now. Yeah, but, but in this world, um, in my Facebook purge, like, nobody can get mad at you for it. Nobody can show that they're mad at you. You can't stop people from being mad. Right. Unless it's, like, anonymous, where they don't know who said it, or do you sign it? Like... I'm just it's anonymous. And... Well, it's anonymous because, I mean, everybody wears masks on the real purge. Yeah, which I don't know why. Everyone's, everyone's. Oh. And my Facebook that's purge, why. you're anonymous on Facebook and you can say whatever you want to anybody. <laughs> you could just catfish people, though. Wow. Yeah, create but... a fake account and just be like, I hate you for these reasons. I met you once at a bar. I'm trying to come up with a better solution to this. The only better solution to the purge is no purge. Vote Senator what's her face. I don't even remember her name. Not that I didn't like the movie, it's just it wasn't as strong as the other two. And it's been a long time since I saw the first one. Yeah, you should watch that. But after the purge, didn't we see another movie between that and Ghostbusters? I felt like we did. We definitely did. I can't remember what it was. Was it a scary movie? No, we saw The Boy here. Like, that's... When I think of movies we've seen, The Boy was one of them. And we watched that here. We Uh, saw The Conjuring 2. Oh, yeah, The Conjuring 2. Wow. I liked it. The Conjuring 2. Definitely didn't like it as much as the Yeah, one. the first one had something spectacular about it, which apparently is the word of the night. But maybe it was very fresh. It was like, it was an idea that, you know, the idea of a possessed house and then somebody gets possessed. Or not a possessed house. It's uh, just a haunted house. There's a word for it. Uh, Haunted? Me out here. Eh, haunted house sounds so cartoony. I don't know. We'll stick with possessed house. The house is possessed or infected or whatever. And then somebody in the house gets possessed by the demons roaming the house. But then you have the Warrens come in and do some ghost busting of their own. Based on real character or real people. And I like Patrick Wilson and... Is it Virma? Verma? Vera Farmiga. Vera Farmiga. From Bates Motel. Like, I like them as the Warrens. I would watch... Or I thought I would watch movies just about them. Like, I could watch their stories forever. Each case that they've ever had, just make it into a movie. But this one... Felt a little dry. I don't know. It didn't have, I guess, as much charm as the first one did. Um, even Annabelle 
Annabelle, like, was at the bottom, I think. And then Conjuring, and then Conjuring 2, above that. I guess. Wait, so, what order did you first stop? Conjuring, Conjuring 2, Annabelle. Annabelle. Yeah. I know, I mixed it all up there. Um, but, I don't know. I'm barely, like, I'm barely even remembering. I remember the old, an old man and... Yeah, he was a conduit for the nun. Like, the nun was really oh, yeah. the demon that was using the old man who died in the house. To get to Vera Farmiga. Yeah. It was a, kind of a convoluted plot for Yeah, yeah, that's possessions. what I remember. So I remember leaving, like, wait a minute, how are all these things connected? Yeah. I think I would watch a movie just about the nun... Like, if that was its own thing, but still have, um, the Warrens in it. I think the Warrens are strong characters, but that yeah. movie didn't do them justice. Um, so what I don't was, know. What was the ghost, or the demon's name again? It was on the wall. Yeah, it was on the... Did it start with a K? Um, I don't know. But yeah, there was at one point where we were like... The letters on the bookshelf or something made... The name of the demon. But it wasn't bad. It, it could have been better. Um, then we saw Ghostbusters. Now, I really loved Ghostbusters. I loved it. it was, I was 100% about it. Like, with all the shit that it's got, and apparently people are still like... It lost so much money that there's not going to be a sequel and all this other shit. Who said that? The internet. But not like internet people, like internet news sources are saying that it wasn't made. It's not like a sequel is no longer a thing right now. That's just what it says. I'll pull up some later to show you, but I think they could find the money for it. Um... I don't know, maybe it didn't make as much as was put into it, but they could tone down some of the, like, they could cut some of the budget and make the movie and make as much, fuck. They could have a smaller budget and make more money doing the sequel if they were smart about it. Like, a lot of the money probably went into CGI and maybe some of the... I don't know what the actors are worth in that movie, but they wouldn't have to pay the guys for their cameos in the second movie, like the original Ghostbusters, which I'm sure was part of it, because Dan Aykroyd produced and was in and wrote the original Ghostbusters. Um, they wouldn't get Bill Murray. I'm sure it's not cheap to shoot on location in New York City. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, because there was a lot. I mean, it takes place in New York, obviously, but they were even in the subway and shit. That probably the cost of shutting down that. Yeah. Like I don't even I don't know if there was abandoned tunnels that they could have used, but probably, but still, like yeah, the the cost was probably high for that alone. Um, but the story, like, it was a very original story that still had an enough of a feel as the old movies 
And the ladies really rocked it. Not like, I don't know why people had a problem in the beginning that they were all female. I never found that to be the problem. The problem I've always had with it, well, that I had with it initially was the trailer that they had released for it wasn't very strong. And it made the movie look weak. But the whole time I had fun watching the movie. Um, even, I mean, towards the, like, first off, you have Kate McKinnon who stole the show. Yeah. She was the strongest character, funniest character. And part of me feels like that's just, like, that's who she is, like, kind of. Mm. Um, you have Melissa McCarthy, who wasn't super annoying because yeah, she, she was playing. She wasn't I was expecting. She wasn't playing the same character she always does, to a sense. I mean, she, she was, but she, like, reined it in a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think they all did. I mean, Leslie Jones... I've obviously I've only seen her on SNL, but she wasn't like she wasn't over the top as I had expected her to be. And what was shown in the trailer was that they were that they, that she was going to be that over the top character, but she wasn't. And uh, Kristen Wiig, the very straight man, um, and then when the Chris Hemsworth was in it. That was when she would, like, lose her cool and start acting goofy. But, like, the whole time she was pretty... He was pretty funny, too. Oh, yeah. The, uh, dumb assistant. That was such a great character. And it was nice to see him play that... That kind of character, too. Because, like, everything we've seen him in now... Well, he's Thor, so... He plays this god that has lightning and thunder and this huge fucking hammer and it's just like destroying people and then you have his other characters where he's this good looking jock type or whatever but then he was like the dumb good looking guy Mm -hmm. and the dumb part was very he there's a an aquarium in their building where they're starting up their Ghostbusters headquarters or whatever, and he's like, an aquarium is a submarine for fish. <laughs> that part, I lost it. Like, all the little one lines he has are just genius. And at the end, he's like eating a sandwich, and he's like, where did you get that sandwich? He's like, over there. And one of them throws it away. <laughs> and then he's like, aw. And then he... <laughs> The guy, whoever is over there, throws the sandwich back to him and he grabs it and continues eating it. Like, just those parts alone, his delivery and the way he act, acted in those scenes were just phenomenal. Um, and the, the whole, the actual plot of the movie with this one nerdy guy who wanted to get back at the world for shutting him out, kind of, was unleashing these ghosts and eventually would just rip a hole in the other side and all the ghosts would flood into the real world. Um, That was pretty cool. Like, I kind of enjoyed that. And the last step was for him to become a ghost. The only thing I didn't like was the form that he took. 
that yeah, but... cartoonish ghost. But I get it. I understand why. You know, it was sort of parallel to the first movie where they make the state puff marshmallow man, this innocent looking character, the final form, the villain that they have to fight. So that's why they did it. And plus, it marketed the toy for that, I guess. Um, it was just, I don't know, it was a goofy looking design. The Ghostbusters, you know, sign that becomes a real character. Um, but I, I thought they all kicked ass, and it was it was a really fun movie. I wanted to see it again. Yeah. And I, I, I do hope it gets a sequel. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of potential in that franchise. And those, those women are very funny. And if they just rein it in like they did this time and find a great story that they can do. Um, well, it hinted off that they were going to do something Zool, oh, yeah. Zool-related. Yeah, with the post-credits scene. Um, which would be cool. That would be, that'd be the way to go, I think. Um, so moving on, then we saw, after Ghostbusters, there was, I guess it was the killing joke. I mean, we didn't see that in theaters, because it was only in theaters for well, two nights technically, but we watched it here, and I was—I wish I had gone to the theater to see that because I really loved it. Um, that was your first DC animated movie, but what did you think of it? I mean, it definitely—I never thought, oh, I'm watching a cartoon. Yeah. To me, it was like watching a regular movie. Yeah, it was, it's the the way they do their DC animated movies. They're very ripped right from the page. In not only their style, but their the way that they're told. The only difference in this version versus the comic book was the Batgirl um, hooking up with Batman thing. They don't do that in the comic. Not in the killing joke. I couldn't tell you if they do it anywhere else. But in the killing joke, the Batgirl storyline is that she gets paralyzed. Um, and that was actually very hard to watch. Yeah. Oh, it's and the whole torture with Gordon, like. It, it's a very hard story. Like, first of all, the guy who wrote it, um, Alan, Alan Moore, he doesn't think it's a great story, like The Killing Joke, when he wrote it. He, he says it doesn't really do anything. It's just... Like, he doesn't. it's not saying anything and all this other stuff, but it's one of the most well-regarded comic books in the Batman history and in almost the DC history, I think. Um, 
because it's the it's such a <clears throat> it's such a good example. I mean, apart from Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, it's such a good example of the Batman and Joker relationship. You have the guy who's doing everything he can for attention and is crazy as fuck and, you know, is cracking jokes and has his whole master plan. And then you have Batman who's trying to rein it in and keep him in line knowing what the fate will be. Like, there's that whole conversation he has with who actually with a guy who actually isn't the Joker, he just thinks he's the Joker at the time. But he's like, maybe it will be sooner, maybe it will be later, but one day, you know, one of us is going to die. Maybe I'll kill you, or maybe you'll kill me, but this is the way it's going to be. I, uh, I'm paraphrasing kind of, but he knows that that's the outcome, but he's still trying to help this disturbed man that he... He, like, he wants to help him. Mm. He knows that there's something about him, that they're both alike. They're both going to extraordinary measures to fulfill some sort of destiny that they've created for themselves when nobody's asked them to do it. And they understand each other more than anyone. But yet, he still, the Batman still keeps the Joker alive, even though he's killing all these other people. And I think, my opinion has always been the reason he keeps him alive is because he knows he has a problem. And by keeping the Joker alive and thinking that he can help him is an extension of him wanting to help himself get better. And if he can make the craziest person in Gotham City okay then he could finally put down the cape and cow. I think he also thinks that he easily could have been the other way around. Yeah. He easily could have been that's, the other way That's exactly in the in Arkham Asylum. He, there's a line that says, like, you know, one day I feel like I'm going to be coming through these doors. Not as they're a... Both, they're both have taken these extreme measures for the sake of... I mean, at least in this... I don't know if there are other Joker backstories, but at least in this story, they're mm -hmm. both doing what they're doing, like, as a result of a devastation of their family. Yeah. Well, in it's kind of exhibited in The Killing Joke, but the Joker's always like, you know, if I'm going to have a past, I want it to be multiple choice. Because his real origin is kind of unknown. A lot of people accept the uh, the Red Hood storyline of him having a pregnant wife that gets killed by the mob or by loan sharks or whatever. And he has to, he's trying to do it to help his family, but then Batman comes along and accidentally pushes him into a vat of chemicals. People have accepted that as the truth. Um, as to what the Joker's origin is, at least that's what I, I read. A lot more people accept that as his actual origin. So, yeah, it, Batman understands that the Joker is an extension of himself, and, you know, 
Well, exactly what you said, that it could have just as easily been the other way around. Um, and, I like that dichotomy. Yeah. And it's funny, though, because in an episode of Fat Man on Batman, Kevin Smith interviews Grant Morrison, the guy who wrote Arkham Asylum, and asks him what he thought about the ending of The Killing Joke, because the ending is it just ends with the joke. The Joker tells the final, the killing joke about um, two escaped mental patients. Uh, one jumps a ledge over to the wall, and the other one doesn't think he can make it, so he shines the one who's made it shines a light and creates a bridge for him. And he's like, here, cross cross this beam of light I'll, 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 to get over to the other side. And the guy's like, no, you're just going to turn it off when I'm halfway across. Like, that, that was the, the actual joke he tells. And the whole idea behind the killing joke was that this was their last chance for the Joker to cross that bridge. That Batman was letting him, mm. and ah. the Joker didn't want to do it. Like he was never going to actually cross the bridge. And Grant Morrison was like, "Yeah, it ends with them both laughing." And Batman kills the Joker in that last page. Like that's how Grant Morrison thinks it ends. That's he thinks the only logical ending because this was their last chance and this otherwise they're going to be stuck in this battle forever which they are in the comics because well not only does it sell comic books but without Batman there's no Joker and without Joker there's no Batman that dynamic is such a strong one that they keep reiterating it over and over again but Grant Morrison feels that the killing joke was the final showdown between Batman and the Joker. Or not not even the final showdown, but just that it ends with him killing him. Even in The Dark Knight Returns, the Joker dies mostly to his own doing, but he dies in Batman's hands, and it's like, so final. It's always how it was going to end. The Joker was going to die at the hands or in the hands of Batman. And, you know, the fact that they got Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill to return for Batman and Joker, respectively, like, those guys have voiced Batman and the Joker since my childhood in Batman the Animated Series. I, like, I can't hear anyone else doing their voices. And it made, it made it so much better to watch because there's... You can hear the history in their voices, at least for me, and maybe I'm just full of shit, but... No, I see what you're saying. The fact that they're doing the voices means something. It's a comfort. It's also parallel to the relationship with Batman and the Joker. Because the act voice actors have a relationship. Like, without one, there isn't the other. Mm. Every time oh, one does it, they do it like the other guy does it. And there have been instances where, you know, they, the voices have been done by others that sound alike. Like in Arkham Origins, the video game, they've got two other guys to do the voices. 
and they've been good, but there's something about Kevin Conroy's voice, and there's something about Mark Hamill's voice. It's like those are the definitive versions of the characters. Um, but yeah, it was well done, and I hope it makes you want to watch other DC animated movies. Definitely. Um, I think the Flashpoint Paradox you would like, and Dark Knight Returns you would really like. But there's even, there's so many more. Most, I can't see myself more. watching them, um, like, watching, like, the kids' versions. Well, those aren't kids' versions, but... Well, no, I mean, like, oh, watching just, the, the animated series with you, like, that was, that was intended mean, for kids to be able to watch. I can't see myself watching those, but definitely anything like the kind of joke I, I would... Well, the thing is, even though the animated series is made for kids, it's pretty dark and well-written. Like, I think you would find the animated series very enjoyable. Maybe not the Batman animated series and, like, Beware the Batman or Batman Beyond, even though Batman Beyond's kind of very close to Batman the animated series. But, like... It's very mature for a kid's cartoon. Mm-hmm. There's cheesy moments because it is designed for kids and it made a bunch of toys and all that shit, but like, I say this all the time, but there's a Mr. Freeze episode of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, In the Heart of Ice, I think is the full title. It's so heartbreaking and like, it's about Mr. Freeze, you know going to the lengths he goes to because of his wife that died. And it's... Uh, just thinking about it, it's, it makes you cry because it's so deep for a kid's show. Uh, so that that one you probably watch. All the other mm-hmm. ones, like the Justice League Unlimited, maybe not so much. Young Justice or anything like that. Teen Titans, definitely not. But, yeah. Um, so maybe we'll have to watch some of those. And then last but not least, Suicide Squad, which is really the reason we were doing this episode, but since it had been so long, um, I wanted to throw in all the other movies that we had seen. So, what did you think of Suicide Squad? I don't know. All the movies we've discussed, definitely my favorite. All the movies? That like, we discussed tonight. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was definitely my favorite. What did you like about it the most? I liked The Edge. Yeah? It was... I had a great edge to it. And I, li- I liked that... Even though they tried to lighten it up and give it hard or whatever... It still had, like, that darker quality to it, and I liked that a lot. Yeah, it was, um, well, I really liked it, too. I didn't always like Jared Leto. Yeah. I had very, uh, in one scene I was like, ah, yeah, I'm digging this, and then in another scene I'd be like, ah, you know. I, I felt like he was trying to sound like Heath Ledger. Yeah. I think doing the Joker live action is a lot harder. And since Heath Ledger's performance, I mean, granted, he was the last Joker. Um, 
it's they're big shoes to fill. Yeah. And no, I think, you know, even when Heath Ledger was becoming the Joker, I think in some way he was probably like Jack Nicholson's shoes are big to fill. But the the idea of the comic book movie had changed drastically since then because that was made in '89, and The Dark Knight was in um, '08 or '09. I just would have thought that like because that performance from Heath Ledger was so stunning and I mean unfortunately, especially with the circumstances surrounding it so huge that he would want to make it totally different. And I felt like they did that with his appearance. They did that with everything but his voice. And I found myself asking, like, I don't know, is is there a description somewhere in the comic books of what his voice is supposed to sound like? And then they all sound like that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. And I know if you play them both side by side, they probably don't sound all that alike. But it just there were certain certain ways he said certain things that it felt like he was trying to sound like to mimic or mimic that voice, yeah. and I wanted him to just do his own thing. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's I think a huge pro- not a problem, but like it's very hard to try to set yourself apart from it. When it already exists. Um, but they had given him everything he needed to do that. They gave him a look that's never been seen before. Yeah. They gave him the tools, I felt, to do something totally different. Well, I think because, like, the voice is a huge part of the character. And he has this sort of, like, raspy, high-pitched sometimes, menacing voice. Not because it's descriptive anywhere, at least that I've seen in comics, but just based on the animated series and all the voice history of the character. That that's just what we've come to expect. And, like, if you read about all the shit that Jared Leto did on the set and off the set about sending weird shit to the cast members to try to get into the mindset of this crazy guy that he's trying to act like, like, you're right. All of all of the new Joker stuff was laid out in front of him, and he still seemed to go take a step back with the voice. I think it was because it was so heavily influenced by other voice types. Because even when Mark Hamill isn't doing the Joker's voice, anyone else that does it still has the same type of voice that Mark Hamill does. And to an extent, Heath Ledger as well. There's... I honestly don't... I can't imagine how a Joker would sound without thinking of those guys. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about playing that character is because there's so much history with it. Like, even with Batman, like, since Christian Bale, or, yeah, like, back in the 90s, those guys kind of just talked the way they normally talked. 
especially like George Clooney and Val Kilmer. They just did the voice like they were beneath the mask because nobody expected anything differently. But then you get Kevin Conroy in the animated series who gives it like this, I'm in the shadows and I'm, I'm Batman. Not even really going full Christian Bale with the throat voice. There's just a precedent set from that moment forward. So when the Christian Bale version comes, it's deeper and like, I'm the guy in the shadows type voice. And Ben Affleck, it's not as deep, but it's definitely in the same vein. So if you compare Ben Affleck's Batman to Christian Bale's Batman, it's toned down a notch. And if you compare Ben Affleck's Batman to Kevin Conroy's Batman, it's taken up a notch. So if you compare Jared Leto's Joker to Jack Nicholson's Joker, it's the voice itself is amped up, whereas if you compare it to Heath Ledger, I think it's toned down a little bit. So he's trying to find this medium between all the Jokers that have existed before, voice-wise or otherwise, and still try to create his own. But I do think you're right. I think, well, I don't really like the look of the Joker. I understand why they went with it. Did you get the impression that Jared Leto was trying to be, like, the hot Joker? Yeah. A little I got bit. that impression sometimes. I was like, is he trying to, like, like I, know, I know there is a sexiness about Harley Quinn and their relationship, but... Well, the, yeah, the Joker his sexiness never... seems a little seems a little forced. Yeah, and that partly probably because of the actor playing him. Not even that you know I don't know how how Jared Leto ranks on the sexiest men of top one hundred list or whatever, but the Joker as a character should really not be that's that's what that guy. sexy. Yeah. She can think he's sexy because she's in love with him and crazy and whatever. She could see him in that light, but for the audience to kind of take a step back and be like, yeah, he he, he looks like he has a, a six-pack under those clothes. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's what you're thinking. Like, yeah. you're, you're thinking, like, yeah, he's got green hair, but he's kind of hot. He has slicked back hair. It, it and, was like, it's... Not to, you know, go over into musical theater land. It's kind of like what they did with Phantom of the Opera, mm -hmm. the movie, where you were like, you know what? I don't care that half of your face is deformed. You are sexy everywhere <laughs> else. And that's all you're thinking about. Yeah. You're not thinking about what you're actually supposed to be thinking about, which is, you know, that he is deformed and he's trying to win her over with other, in, in other means. Yeah. You're thinking... Well, hey, get over the half of the face thing, and he's really hot. Yeah. Like, and that is not what you're supposed to be thinking. Right. No, I totally get that. And maybe when we see more of it, we'll either get used to it and forgive it, or it'll just keep proving to be not what we want out of a Joker character. I just really think... If you're going to go that way with the voice, you should go more traditional with the clothes. 
Yeah, he looked like he was like ready for like the villain's calendar shoot. Well, his clothes were definitely like he's the pimp of Gotham City, and Harley Quinn is his bitch. That he, I mean, he doesn't want to rent her out, but you could see if he was financially low that he would do that. Like he has his cane. The Joker has a cane, but. He has, it looked like he has rings, and, I mean, maybe he didn't have a gold necklace, but it definitely looked like he could have, and his long fucking coat, like, he's driving a Lamborghini, all these things that just throw the character off of what you want it to be, and the thing is, we knew what we were getting when we saw him in the, when they first released the visual of his look, all the tattoos and shit. I don't like the tattoos, really. No. I mean, I don't mind him, but the one that says damaged yeah. on his head is a little, like, high school emo for me. Yeah, but, I mean, not to forgive it, but I keep reading things online saying, like, this is the reason they did this, and this is the reason they did that. And, like, the word damaged on his forehead is supposed to be a reminder to Batman, like, for the fact that he's fucked up now because of Batman. And they didn't go into it in this movie because the Joker wasn't really a main focal point. He was just a side, a B storyline. But presumably, he's missing his teeth. That's why he has the metal shit. Because he's had many encounters with Batman. In Batman v Superman, we saw Robin's suit in the Batcave with the jokes on you and all that shit. Like, there's a lot of history with the characters. And. The only way I can think is, like, Batman holds the Joker by his shirt and is talking to him and punching him, and the Joker's just right here laughing and laughing. And the only way to get the message across, other than the fact that he's already fucked up visually, like, he doesn't need to do this, but he writes damage on his forehead so that when Batman is looking at him, he sees that he's damaged. It's a little very on the nose. (laughs) But... That was why, supposedly, he's wearing, he has it on his forehead for Batman to remind him. I just took it a step further to be like, well, the only way he would see it was if he was holding him by the collar like he normally does. The other tattoos, like the ha-ha's he, ha- the ha-ha's he has <clears throat> down his chest and everything, I get that. That's not too out far-fetched. Even some of the smile tattoos he has. And he even has... I don't know if we could really see it in the movie. But I saw a picture of it online. He has a Robin tattoo. A picture of the bird. With the bird turned upside down and like an arrow through the chest. Hinting at the fact that he killed Robin. Mm. Um, and the other tattoos like... He has the mouth tattoo across the arm and shit like that. Like... They're plausible, but damage just, I don't know, it was more distracting than anything. Yeah. Um, but Suicide Squad was definitely Will Smith's movie. He was, it was a Will, I kept telling people, because people immediately asked me what I thought about it afterwards, and I saw a Will Smith that I hadn't seen in a long time. Um... 
I think the last movie I saw in theaters with Will Smith was I Am Legend, which was in 2007. And granted, I don't go to the movies so often, but or I have been recently, but since 2007, the last movie I saw with Will Smith in it was I Am Legend. This Will Smith, playing the character of Deadshot, was very I Am Legend, Bad Boys, and um, Men in Black. Those characters that he's played, which I know means not, not a whole lot to you because you haven't seen any of those movies. <laughs> but he he was very serious when he needed to be, and then he was very funny when he needed to be, and he was very focused when he needed to be. Like The whole plot line to this movie was they were recruited out of their prison to go on a suicide mission. Um, to save Amanda Waller from the Enchantress's minions or whatever, because she had her heart in a suitcase and shit. And, like, Will Smith was the leader of the group, essentially, and the Deadshot character, he's exactly what he says. He's a, a Deadshot when it comes to firing weapons. They didn't do it so much in the movie. They did it for the first shot scene that Deadshot is in, where Deadshot has a target that he needs to kill, and the, the guy that hired him is on the phone, and he's like, where's the money that you need to transfer into my account and all that shit? And Deadshot had set up this like mirror pad thing on one wall so that he could do a trick shot and shoot it in the corner, and so it would ricochet and ricochet and hit the guy right in the neck and kill him. Like, Deadshot can do these crazy shots. He can curve bullets and bounce bullets off of other bullets and, like, shoot guns out of people's hands and all this crazy shit just by lining up a shot. Like, he's a skilled marksman, and they only utilize it, really, in the opening scene with him in it. But then every other part that he's in, he's like the leader badass, just firing guns, which was mm -hmm. cool. But as far as the character goes, they could definitely do more. Yeah, they could do more with that. Um, but I really like Will Smith in it. And Margot Robbie, um, who plays Harley Quinn, she did an excellent job, I yeah, thought. Yeah, she pulled it off. Um, people were worried that, like, hearing that voice for the whole movie would be mind-numbing, but it really wasn't, you know, too distracting. It was very Harley Quinn. Um, and the whole, the whole Harley Quinn and Joker relationship, like I told you right after we saw it, I've, I got the feeling that the Joker cared a lot more about Harley than I had seen in any other iteration. Like, because the whole idea behind them is that Harley is crazy for the Joker, but Joker just manipulates her and gets what he needs out of her and then dumps her at the first, whatever's convenient for him. The only time I really saw that in the movie was in the flashback when he, when Batman is grabbing Harley and the Joker drives the Lamborghini off of the cliff and bails out of the vehicle 
leaving Harley there, who's busted through the windshield, presumably to die underwater. Every other scene that Harley and the Joker are in together, he, like, really gives a shit about her and, like, really shows that he cares. Which was kind of weird in a new direction for me to see, but, you know, we also got to see how he manipulated her in the beginning. After that moment, it seems like he's very for the Harley-Joker relationship himself and wants to be there for her. And she, clearly, her secret desire is she wants to just be married and have kids with them, which is weird to see. But I don't know. I, I really liked their relationship. I liked mm-hmm. her version of the character. I liked Deadshot. I wish they did more with Killer Croc. He was kind of just the background guy. Uh, said some funny lines here and there. Katana kind of just shows up. Doesn't really have a lot to do. She's the one with the katanas that captures the souls after oh, she kills yeah. people. Um that is a great character in all the other, like, in the cartoons and shit. She's great. She didn't really do a whole mu- a lot in this movie. Um, I didn't really like Rick Flagg, who was the military guy that was... He was a good guy trying to keep the bad guys in line, and he was in love with the Enchantress's... That's, like, the girl that the Enchantress possessed. Mm-hmm. Um... Dr. Sorkin or something. I don't know. But the best parts of the movie for me were when Batman brings in Deadshot. Like, I felt that was one of the best Batman villain interactions on screen. Because he shows up and is like, I'm bringing you in. And he's like, but I don't want to do this in front of your daughter. Like, go quietly It'll be all right. It's a very real moment between Batman and his villain. And then the Bruce Wayne scene at the very end where he's talking with Amanda Waller and he has the files on all the people. And Will Smith was the strongest bit. I really didn't like how they jumped around with the songs. Like there was a lot of music used. Um, I was talking to somebody who had the same problem, and they said, yeah, it felt very much like a music video. It was like... And that was introducing each character, I guess. They did it in a creative way. It just... I don't know. I didn't understand why... I mean, I understood why they chose him to focus on, because he was like, oh, I'm not going to be... I'm not going to do bad things anymore. To a dead show? No, the fire guy... Oh, Diablo. Oh, Diablo. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't understand why they chose him to be. Um, like, I felt like, he, I felt like he had a special role among them. And I, like I, I guess I thought I knew where they were going in regards to, like, they assembled all these, like, villains to do, and, like, that they're, the idea that they're bad and he doesn't want to be bad anymore. And, like, yeah. So he's being forced to do things he doesn't want to do, he's trying to be good, and they want him to be bad. Mm-hmm. But just, I don't, I don't know. With with so much else going on with the Deadshot and with Harley Quinn and the Joker and 
like I just felt like I didn't understand what that piece was. Yeah. About. I mean. I like I like didn't mind it. I just like it felt out of place for me at times. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think. I mean, I the only other interpretation of the Suicide Squad that I've seen is the cartoon, the the DC animated movie, Assault on Arkham, which is essentially Amanda Waller recruits these criminals to go into Arkham Asylum for some reason and do some shit. I, I can't remember. It's been so long. Um, and I think he's one of the guys. So he has a place in the Suicide Squad. What his real purpose is, I mean, other than the fact that he has a cool ability, I'm not too sure. I'm not 100% sure. Because they could have just as easily not used him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, at the well, at the end, he's the one that defeats the villain. Yeah. I mean, the but bomb actually I defeats the... I guess I didn't understand why... I... F- I felt like he was undeserving of having that ending. Yeah. I felt like with all the focus that we'd gone on Deadshot, that it would be Deadshot that was the... I don't know. Well, Deadshot shoots the bomb that blows up the a portal or whatever. Yeah. El Diablo's fighting... I thought he was fighting Enchantress, but he's not. He's fighting uh, her brother. The big... Uh, glowy figure. I don't know. Um, but I do... There are a lot of things I appreciate about this movie and the fact that they introduced um, sort of a magic element. The metahuman... They called her metahuman, but she's very magic-oriented. They introduce it into this DC universe because there are a lot of magic-based heroes um so maybe we'll get like zatanna who's a big part of she was a big part of uh a lot of the animated stuff and is a character that a lot of people would want to see i think um and katana the fact that they just introduced her even though she didn't do a whole lot like they're definitely pulling in the right direction I just, you know, and I liked it. I think it definitely had better moments in it than Batman vs. Superman in some cases. The only reason I probably liked Batman vs. Superman more is because Ben Affleck as Batman, the more I see of him, the more I'm like, this is the Batman we want. This is Bruce Wayne that we want. He plays that character pretty damn well. Yeah, he does. And uh, I'm looking forward to his solo movie. When is that supposed to come out? I want to say next year, but because there's so many superhero things coming out between now and 2020, I can't keep them straight. 
So it could be next year. It could be 2018. But I think Justice League comes out next year, so it probably is 2018. Um, or early next year. And then Wonder Woman comes out next year. Or, yeah. Yeah. Which I'm looking forward to seeing. But So you like Suicide Squad the most out of all the movies we've seen? Or we've discussed? Yeah. Out of all the movies we've seen so far this year, which one do you like most? Oh, I don't know. Well, I'd imagine Suicide Squad is up there. Yeah, yeah, because I can't, I, I can't say that I liked it better than Batman vs. Superman. Well, no, I don't expect you to say that. What about Deadpool? Um, I think I like Deadpool better. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it's one character, or the the whole movie was just because I, I felt like all around it was a better. Yeah. It was better like, executed. Yeah. Somewhat in the same vein, like both movies are very similar in some respect, but Deadpool is definitely probably the best. And I mean. A lot of people feel that way, so I get it. There's there's merit for that. Um, it might honestly be because I can't count a movie as being the best if it's just bits and pieces I really really like. But Deadpool is probably the best that I saw this year. Yeah. Yeah, an agreement. So, it wasn't an hour, it wasn't an hour and a half, it was pushing to an hour and 50 minutes. But that's the final episode of the Maxi Danko Podcast. It deserved a grand exit. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, four years, four plus years now. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to creating the other podcast, but... It's good to put this one to rest, just so I don't have to think about it as much. Because even when, even though I wasn't putting out episodes week after week like I planned on originally doing, it was always in the back of my mind, like, i got to do another episode because so much time has passed, and then yeah. every time a week went by, I was like, oh, i got to do an episode, it's getting too long, and then a month would go by, and I wouldn't have done an episode, really it bothered me, so I felt like it was just time to end this one. Um, until I can start up something else and make it better, more frequent at least. Um, so I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And, you know, maybe the two people out there that have always listened to every episode, thank you for being there from the beginning. Thank you. And, uh, you know, now... You, you can go on my Facebook page and like the Matthew Danko Podcast or go on to YouTube and subscribe. Go on to iTunes and subscribe to the Matthew Danko Podcast. And it will never update after this episode. That'll be it. So perhaps if you subscribe to it, you can sell it on eBay sometime in the future because it will be worth millions of dollars because it will be an antique and a collectible and so rare that there are only 21 episodes. Um... It was a short-lived 
series over the course of five years. <laughs> but I, I had fun like doing it. Had it had heart. Yeah, that's exactly what it had. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of heart. Um, so thank you, Jesse, for being on the last episode and thank a lot you. of the other episodes. My most consistent guest star. Not always the most educated on these things, but I no, appreciate but it, letting me down. Well, that's what I needed. I needed the insight from somebody non non comic book fan, just so you can call call me on the shit that you don't agree with or that you don't understand, and I can try to explain it and show you that side. It's nice well, to have another perspective. We're good. So thank you guys. I am your host, Matthew the Dr. Danko, and this was Jesse Pardee. Hi, thank you. And thanks for listening to the last episode of the Matthew Danko Podcast. You should probably go with that. <laughs>